welcome to the farm. I'm Katja Williams, the Rural Mum, and today I'm talking with Katrina. Hi, Katrina. Hello, Katja. So nice to be here with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today. And so today's series is You've Married a Farmer, Now What? You're also a farmer in this circumstance and you've gone back to your family farm. So can you talk to us a little bit about who you are, your family and your farming operation? Yes, absolutely. Happy to share that story with you. So yeah, so uh, I guess I'm Katrina, as you know, and we are now back on my family farm. So I grew up here on the farm that we're now on. It's a, it's a little farm outside of Barham on the Murray River. And we grow avocados is the main thing that we grow here. And yeah, so I grew up here. And then after kind of heading off to boarding school, university, traveling the world for a while, and doing all sorts of other things, um, and then, you know, marrying my husband, Tim, we decided to move back to the farm in 2011. I think we sort of had an epiphany moment after having our first baby, actually, and realised that we both wanted to be farmers, but or we at least live on a farm and, and be farmers, really. And so we kind of went, well, we're both from farms. Let's have a look at our at those first because we'll never be able to afford to buy one is what we sort of realized uh especially because we were living in young at the time and the land prices around there even that long ago were still far too expensive for us so we thought well righto we've got these two farms let's look at our options there so we ended up moving back to my family farm because we really were very attracted to the idea of the avocados just something different and we love the barren community here because Tim had lived here previously as well and that's where we met so he knew the community as well and we both loved it here so we thought right let's get back to Barham and um, yeah so we will talk about the trials and tribulations and the challenges of all of that I'm sure but now we're both here we've got four kids um, and we have I guess I've got all sorts of other little projects going on as well we've now set up an Airbnb on the farm I have my own business and I teach meditation coaching and I've got a podcast and we're really involved the local community lots of you know not-for-profit boards and all that kind of thing lots of volunteering and yeah the avocado business we've sort of I think we've quadrupled the size of it since we moved back so got a lot more trees and we now run a packing shed and pack other people's fruit and it's good. Mostly it's good. <laughs> Sounds very busy. <laughs> yeah, uh, as I'll probably share with you, it does sound busy, but I guess I have a really big focus on my mental health and well-being, and so I've learnt to be able to manage that and to know when it does tip into too busy and to be able to maintain – balance is a funny word, but I would say I, I guess I can manage it. And we both have found a way to manage that so we don't tip into, like, burnout, basically. So it's okay. That's really, really good. Before we continue with today's episode, I'd like to give a shout-out to Thermomix. Thermomix is one of those investments that are timeless and really help produce a happy, healthy family here on farm. What is thermomixing? It's cooking whatever you want to cook. It's cooking without being able to cook. It's cooking something you've never been able to cook. It's having thousands of recipes at your fingertips. It's whipping up espresso martinis for a hot date, making seafood chowder for the boys, or healthy meals from whatever's in the fridge. Even that? It's being part of a community. It's being connected to experts. It's saving time. It's stepping up. It's creating meals from scratch. It's having your family look at you and say, Wow. By letting you be the cook you've always wanted to be. At the flick of a smart switch. We don't cook. We, we turn on it. 
So let's start from the beginning. So you grew up on the family farm where you are now. So tell me a little bit about your childhood on the farm and then the journey to get back to it. Yes. Okay. So I had a, just a, a lovely childhood, really, like grew, um, rode horses, not grew horses, rode horses growing up. And that was like a very big part of our life. I was very, um, I guess, committed to that. We would ride every day. Mum was right into it and we would, you know, pony club and lots of competitions and sort of, I guess, riding at an elite level at that age, really. Like I did the national, you know, national competitions and state competitions and right into it. And that was great. We were really lucky to have that opportunity. Actually, it was really a great thing to do growing up. And I got a lot of, I think there's a lot of skills that I learned from that. So I loved that. Just, you know, we had, when growing up, we had cattle, lucerne, it was a mixed enterprise, just a few avocado trees, but they weren't the main enterprise on the farm back then. And I had one, I had one younger sister. So, you know, we had lots of good times and just all very, you know, involved in the community and all that kind of thing. Then I went off to boarding school in year 10. And actually, while I was away at boarding school, in that very first year that I was away, dad actually took his life. And it was a huge, as you can imagine, a huge, it's that like life moment where it just changed everything completely for me in so many ways. And also in so many ways, my life stayed the same. It's very bizarre. I often describe it as like a sliding doors moment because I just went back to boarding school and kind of carried on like almost like nothing had happened. I'm now realising 20 years, 25 years later that the trauma of that is still within me and I've had to do a lot of work to manage and deal with that trauma. I'm still unpacking it, to be honest. So I think that's definitely now I know that it's not the best way to cope with things, just to carry on like nothing happened. But anyway, that was the way that I managed it at the time. So, you know, and it was survival and it and it served me and it served its purpose. So then I went back to boarding school and then went off to uni and um, and then had one kind of a partner boyfriend there who was not much chop actually looking back could have really done without him but anyway then I met Tim and uh we he was I, I pretty much knew immediately that he was the one for me and that he would be my life partner or I certainly hoped that he would uh, and he was wonderful and we went off traveling together traveled the world lived in the UK for a couple of years and then came back to Australia and he was a vet. So Tim worked as a vet the whole time we were traveling and all that sort of thing. And then we moved back to Australia and we kind of thought, where are we going to live? And we lived in, in Barham for a little bit. Then we got married and then to go and live in Bangkok because we sort of wanted a different experience again. Like we lived in the UK, but it was sort of like living there is a really not much different culturally from living in Australia. So we thought we really want to go and experience a completely different culture and do something really different. And Tim got a job working for the World Society for Protection of Animals in Bangkok. We're like, let's do it. So our honeymoon was basically a year-long trip to Bangkok. So we left the week after we got married. And then, yeah, then I got pregnant while we were over there. And so we decided to move back home. And we were going to buy into a vet practice in Young uh, when we moved back because Tim had worked there before. And he was, we lived there for a couple of years. And we were going to buy into it. And then, as I said earlier, that's when we had like our epiphany moment of like, hang on a minute, we want to be on the farm. And so in 2011, we made the move back to Barham and that's how we ended up back on the farm. That's the sort of, I don't know, kind of a medium version of the story yeah. <laughs> of how we got back here. And then we've been here ever since. We've been on the farm. We lived in town for the first kind of four or five years that we were back while mum was still living in the main house. And then 
after that we moved out to the um, original house and now we live in the original house on the farm and it's yeah it's really special actually that's really amazing so can you tell me a little bit more in depth about the transition from making decisions moving back to town and then the transition to town because when you come back to a family business it's kind of like you're starting back on the farm again from scratch and it sounds like the end main enterprise of the farm had also changed while you're mm. away. yeah absolutely and looking back we were very naive i would say as many people i think who moved back to a family farm are um and it was a huge transition it was a huge decision as well it was you know we we thought about it for so like from making the decision i think it was six months until like sorry from thinking about moving back i think it was six months at least until we actually decided to do the do it and you know um tim's mum and dad didn't love it that much they thought he was giving up this wonderful vet career and you know that was pretty hard for them and then mum had sort of said oh because mum had actually she was going to be leaving the farm she'd been looking to other places and she wanted to she was thinking about selling and going and setting up a horse place anyway and then she was like oh don't be ridiculous like she was like why would you go farming you're mad to go farming um pretty much but also was sort of like oh well it kind of makes sense like so she was sort of really teetering on that but it was a huge huge decision and i guess the safe decision would have been to stay and buy to the vet practice and looking back financially we're probably way better off doing that where we're at now but we both knew that we wanted that lifestyle and everything. And so we did do it after much deliberation. But I would say we went into it, yeah, as I said, very naively. Like we didn't really make very good plans. Like we had a very loose we had we did have discussions with mum and my sister about how it was gonna work and stuff, but not we didn't talk about the financial side of things at all. And I would say the biggest kind of challenge for us was that mum was very reluctant to borrow money. She had a real thing about borrowing money and we really needed to borrow money to expand the farm. Like we could see that we there was a lot that needed to be done when we moved back. And so because mum still owned the farm, the equity was still in her name. So that was really challenging because we needed to get her to agree to let us borrow money. And so we found that really, really hard at the start. And that was something that we didn't anticipate. And we hadn't really thought about. And we didn't really realise how much money we would have to spend. So that was really challenging at the beginning. And I would say for the first couple of years, created a lot of stress. Um, and it was really quite difficult for us. And all the other thing that was really hard was mum had this, like she had a, a brain tumour, not a cancerous one, but this tumour. So we moved back in the February and in November she went in to have this major operation that knocked her out for like, well, well she was a good 12 months recovering really. And so the handover was, that was our first harvest and it was like we basically had to just do it on the fly thank goodness Tim is a very clever man and figured it all out and we had like one of my best mates that was the other thing one of my best mates from uni had become like an avocado guru so we leaned on her a lot in that first 12 months we, we got on her on board and she became a consultant to us and like just helped us so much to learn everything because we were really thrown in the deep end because mum was out of action and so we really had to learn everything on the fly and yeah she was out of action for a good 12 months really so it was that that first couple of years was so hard looking back I think I've almost forgotten like thinking about it now I forget how hard it was but it was really tough yeah 
So what were you and Tim doing, um, you, you know, you're big on mental health. So what were you and Tim doing during those years to make sure you were keeping communication open, that you weren't falling apart, that you were still committed to this dream of being on the farm and, and being there, even though it was tough and even though you were coming up alongside challenges? Okay, so back then I would say we were doing very little, to be honest. Apart from the fact that we had excellent communication and we've always had really good communication, we are really on the same page and I think we're very, luckily, we're always on the same page about everything. We have most things, really, like our big life goals and our values and where we want to be and the things we want to do, like we're always really aligned, thank goodness. And so that, I think that's been really, really important. But when we moved back here, I had no skill, like no tools, nothing. I was flying by the seat of my pants and the wheels were coming off because we'd had one baby and we moved back to the farm and we had another one like the month we moved back because uh, <laughs> I was like, I think I was eight months pregnant or something when we moved home. And uh, it was just like, it was chaos. It was absolute chaos and it was busy and it was hectic and I didn't have any tools and yeah, it was like I wasn't meditating. I, I was living, like I would say I was living with the lights off. I sort of describe it now as living with the lights off. And very unconsciously, and I barely remember poor old Chester, the number two as a child. Like I have pretty much no memory of him because we were just so busy. And, and I threw myself into everything in the community. So not only were we trying to run a new business, I was volunteering on about, I don't know, six committees. Cause I've got to be involved with everything. And we started a farmer's market and a food group. And I was like, it was a lot. And honestly, it wasn't until we had our third baby, sort of two years later, that the wheels completely came off and I had a big breakdown and it was like, okay, something had to give and something did give and it was me. And that then started the whole journey to really going, well, I can't keep going like this. And that was the beginning of the whole learning and understanding that, oh, I've got to look after my well-being. And now it's a very different story. It's a very different story. And I would say outwardly, I mean, apart from the fact, of course, that we've now been running the farm for so long, but it's a heaps bigger enterprise. So, and every year gets easier. I would say like outwardly life is not that much different. And now we've got four kids, so double the amount of kids. <laughs> but the way that I manage everything internally is completely different. And that's what's made all the difference. Yeah. So what would you say would be the main tools that you have learnt to help with that? You mentioned meditating and, and a few other bits and pieces, but can you really jump 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 deep into, you know, some of those tools that, that helped? Yeah, okay, so there's lots of things. Uh, so basically for me it was kind of, I guess it was just developing this more of awareness and becoming more aware of my thoughts and the way that I was showing up in the world. Meditation is the most powerful thing that I've done and it's still to this day. So I meditate twice a day, 20 minutes morning, 20 minutes afternoon. And it's just my absolute would not do without practice. And then also just looking after, you know, so it's sort of this evolving thing, learning to look after yourself and take care of your mental health and your well-being. It starts with creating more awareness, which meditation is a great tool for that. And then you start to notice, okay, well, actually I need to take care of my um my body so you're exercising more and then you need to I mean we were always out ate quite well so nutrition was fine like the eating side of it but getting that battery really charged sleeping better and then having more awareness of how you're showing up and then learning to say no to things was a massive thing because once you realize oh hang on I've got to prioritize myself 
then it becomes, okay, well, I've got to stop doing everything. I have to cut back on things so I've got more time for downtime and to stop my mind being so busy and to stop actually doing so much and what's important to me and what are my priorities. So there's these, there's tools and practices like so meditation, exercise, get enough sleep, eat well, you know, have downtime. And then it's really that next layer of like, yeah, learning to say no to things so that you can prioritise yourself and taking more time with the kids and making better choices and then it's the deeper work around understanding that, okay, my circumstances, that like I can't control things outside of me. All I can control is what how I'm showing up in the world and it's that layer then. So it's sort of all these, like the layers peel back as you get into the well-being, you know, basically into the well-being space. So not into the well-being space, but into the well-being work. It becomes the layers that, that peel back. So, and it's still evolving. Like, oh, I'm still, like every new layer, there's a new layer of growth and discomfort and learning about yourself that you've got to keep doing. But the basics are those battery, charging the battery and getting those basics right, really. If someone was moving to the farm for the first time and they were needing to learn those tools um, and were starting to chip away at it, what would your suggestions be on how to start implementing that into your life and what benefits did you start to feel from each of those tools, like such as the meditation? So the first thing I'd say is get support and because you can't do this stuff alone and also know that you're not alone. Like, if you're struggling with things, well, you're human. We all struggle with the same things. And I think there can be this tendency to think, oh, gosh, it's just me. I'm a failure. I'm the only one that can't cope with life. So the big message is you are not the only one. Every single human being has the same struggles and the same challenges, and we all just have different levels of coping and managing it and dealing with it, and we're all at different levels of that. So it's absolutely support to start with because, it, and it depends where you're at too. Like if you've got absolutely no practices and you feel out of control and you're at burnout and you, you've just got, you don't know how to even get started and you like know in your mind that you should be doing all this stuff, but there's this huge gap between actually doing it and the knowing that you should, then you need help. Like you need support. You need to go and see a coach or a therapist or find a mentor you just can't do it by yourself. Like it's, it's well, you can, but it's a lot harder, you know. Like you'll, you'll jump ahead in leaps and bounds if you get support to do it. It's just that simple, you know. But then I would say learn how to make change because so often we think, oh, like say you just want to get fit or you want to start meditating or you want to implement a new tool that you know will be good for your well-being. Well, the hardest part is implementing and making the new change. So let's use exercise as the example. Well, I, I feel like I need to start moving my body every day or I want to start exercising so I can feel better because, like, physical exercise is huge, right? So And 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 it's not the, oh, well, I'm out working all day so I'm, I'm being physical. No, it doesn't count as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it's, it's okay, but it doesn't count in terms of your mental health and well-being because the benefit of exercising is really that you're moving your body and you're moving the energy through your body so your mind is able to basically switch off or go into that state of flow. But if you're working, physically working, it's not the same because your mind's still busy. Okay. So say you want to get fit and you want to exercise and you want to feel healthy just or just move your body, like, you know, because you know it's good for you. You'll go, all right, well, I'm going to start and I'm going to um, just, you'll just use willpower and tomorrow I'm going to get up and I'm going to get up at half an hour earlier or I'm going to fit in that exercise. And maybe you'll be able to do it for the first sort of three days and then everything will get really hard again. You're like, oh, that's too hard. Getting up early is awful. I just want to sleep in. It's too hard. No, nah, I'm going to stop. 
So you need to learn how to actually implement habit change and make change for the long term. And there's actually quite a bit in that. I and, mean, you know, it's quite hard to make change. Well, it's really hard to make change. It's the hardest thing. So we all think, oh, well, I'm a failure. I can't make change. I can't stick to an exercise routine, so I'm hopeless. And then we kind of internalize that as if there's something wrong with us again. Well, there's nothing wrong with you. You're just operating as a normal human being, and we all find that hard. So then you need to, to learn and understand how to actually make long-lasting habit change. And there's a bit to that, probably can't go into it all today, but it's basically like just, just learn, go and do the research. How do I change habits? How do I change at the subconscious level? How do I reprogram my stories and my thoughts and my beliefs so I can actually make long-term change and know that it's, willpower alone is not enough. So that would be my best, my biggest piece of advice is get support and help and then understand how to actually make change because if you want to start implementing all these well-being things, it's not going to be as easy as you think. It's going to be hard, you know, and, and even learning to meditate. Like most, well, most people think, well, I can't meditate because I can't clear my thoughts, which is the biggest myth about meditation that there is, and I'm very happy to debunk that one because no one can clear their thoughts. So you'll go to start meditating and you'll think, oh, just use this little app, and, you know, again, you'll do it for a few days and then you'll fall off. So you need to learn how to actually implement meditation for the long term. So with everything I would say is, yeah, get support and then learn how to do it and actually implement those new habits and those new changes, you know, from the actual, I guess, the scientific way of doing it, not just the, oh, I can make change and then when you don't, you're a failure because you're not. It's just really hard. Yeah, support's definitely a big one as well because nobody knows everything and chatting to, you know, a handful of people, everyone has different perspectives, different life experience, and that all helps. So whether it's the help and the support you're getting is from friends, families, neighbours, or whether it's formal help, if you do need further, you know, business savvy and you need a business coach or you need further someone further to check in with your well-being, like a counsellor or, or something like that. You know, there's different layers and levels that are different to everyone as you, as you touched on earlier. And then, again, with implementing change is massive, particularly when you are moving to a family farm because the tools that you use to be able to change your habits and your well-being once they are set in motion and once you are able to make those changes for yourself then you can start using the same set of tools to change something on farm so say there's a machinery shed and you've just been wanting to get in there and clean it out or just even just change the flow of one section at a time, those skills and tools that you've developed for yourself first, laying the foundations, you can then use to address other areas on the farm that you see. Earlier in the interview, you mentioned when you first moved to the farm, like you could see how much work needed to be done and what needed to be done. And I think sometimes the longer we're on farm, if we haven't touched some of those jobs or we haven't started progressing down the path where we thought the farm might go or where we might like to go with it, sometimes we find those jobs even harder just to get started or finish that visualisation of, yep, this is the task that needs to be done, let's do it. So those tools are a necessity not only for ourselves and our family, but we can apply those to our farm business once we have the foundations down right. So true. Yeah, I love that. Absolutely. And the other thing I would say is that 
it's also very individual to each person. I mean, like there's there there's a range of kind of things that you can look to to use, but you've got to figure out what's going to work for you and how you function best and all that kind of thing. And 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 the, and the same would apply to how you're going to approach jobs and tasks on the farm. Like maybe you're better if you just in the mornings, or maybe you're better in the afternoon, or maybe you're better off just having a list of jobs. Or yeah, so you've got to and it's just it's not a one size fits all. I think is the thing. And but I love the idea of yeah, once you get it right for you, you can then externalize that to jobs on the farm and to the way you approach the farm. And absolutely, because it all comes from you first. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So with you know creating you know your habits and and your tools for well-being for yourself, um, such as the meditation. Tell me a little bit about how the benefits that you see from that in yourself, in your family, and then also in your farm. Mm, Yeah, well, it's just sort of I can't even explain how much benefit there has been, to be honest. Um, And I guess, again, as the foundation for everything, and I would say well-being is the foundation for everything. And I think what a lot of people do is say, oh, I'll exercise when I've got more time. I'll meditate when I've got more time. I'll do that when I've got more time. And then we've got it back to front because you'll never get more time. You have to prioritise yourself as number one first. That's a key thing. Um, and so I can't remember what you asked me now about meditation. How did I? How do the I? Benefits. <laughs> the benefits. The benefits, that's right. Yeah, I was like, oh, I've got this important point to say. No, the benefits really. So basically... What meditation allows you to do is, yes, have more awareness of your thoughts and then choose your thoughts and notice what's happening in your mind and create more, I would say, create more space in your mind and have more clarity of thought. So I always like to say, like, I think it was Deepak Chopra says, my my, my body is busy, but my mind is not. And and I think that's, like, that's the key thing. And I, I often think about that. So like I said to you, I'm not doing anything so externally, life is the same as what it was 10 years ago. In fact, it's externally busier as such, but I don't feel anywhere near as busy internally as what I did back then. And that's purely because I've learned to manage my thoughts and my mind and my how things are in here so that I can manage and cope with what's going on outside. Because I cannot control the external. All I control is how I show up and how I respond and not react to whatever happens. And that's a key thing that meditation does for you. It allows you to respond rather than react to everything that's happening. And so it's I'm way calmer overall. I don't really get stressed very often. I still get shitty at the kids. Like, And I'm, that is one area that I'm still like work in progress because I do still snap at them way more than I'd like to. It's not... You know, it's just that I have, I think I have an ideal about being the perfect mum and I don't want to yell at them ever, but it's like, that's unrealistic too. But that's certainly, I mean, with four kids, that is still my, my probably Achilles heel. But overall, like I don't get stressed and I don't, and I feel mostly calm and I'm able to think clearly about what I can manage. I can plan my days really well. And I don't have 10 mile long to-do lists anymore. Like it used to be on this to-do list and oh, I've got to get everything ticked off and it was so hectic. But now just, I don't know, it just kind of, it's like it flows out in my mind without having to like overthink it and it's again it's because I'm not having I guess it's like my thoughts are clean instead of having this washing machine of wishy-washy crazy thoughts or getting stuck in a rabbit hole of like I can't believe I said that thing and then stressing about that for a week or that person's annoying me and I hate that person and you know you get stuck on these like negative kind of thought spirals for days weeks months whereas now it's like oh you might think about it for a half an hour and then you let it go because you realize you can notice the thought and shift it and I just I cannot 
like it's so hard to express the power of being able to notice and have an awareness of your thoughts and then choose those thoughts again and that is everything and it's so hard to explain that if you're sort of living unconsciously still but that's the power of it and it's just the benefits have just changed my life completely really I think one of the keywords that you used in that is you choose the thoughts that you want to focus on and you choose, you know, the tasks that need to be done and that you will be done um, because that is where that clarity comes from and, and that's where progression comes from as well. So when you choose something that you want to focus on and prioritise and you start to see results in that area, you get that feedback loop of positivity because you can see things going forward and you can see things lining back up to your values and back up to your morals and you can see real production within that space. Mm -hmm. So I absolutely love the wording of you choose to do that. And I think when we do become more aware of what we're thinking and how we're thinking it, instead of spending, you know, lots of times just, you know, mindlessly searching either whether it's social media or our minds or focusing on something that you know was said as you said like you know oh I shouldn't have said that then you know those clarity we can we can change our mind and choose to change your mind to focus on tasks and the reason one of the reasons I find that you know my mind isn't so wishy-washy is because I've done the pre-work of visualizing and thinking before I actually do the task I can focus on that task. So instead of doing a thousand and one things, half, half doing mm -hmm. a thousand and one things, then you've got that clarity of, yep, I'm going to do this. And that really, really helps as well. Thank you for joining us for part one of part two with our chat with Katrina Myers. It has been a wonderful journey here in part one. So please make sure that you catch up with us again next week as we explore part two of our deep dive conversation to do with well-being, health and moving to the farm. Mm -hmm.